Hello, everybody. Today, I have a very special guest. He is actually my uncle, and he was the detective supervisor in the major crime division in Los Angeles. So what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be going into sexual assault from a detective's point of view, and then we're going to be going into deeper ways to look at signs and symptoms of predators and different ways that you can avoid yourself from getting in these different situations with predators. So thank you so much oh, thanks for, having me. for coming in and, and sharing your brain and your knowledge and your wisdom. Um, this is awesome because he also does a lot of work, or has done a lot of work with self-defense. And so we're gonna be talking about this from a couple different angles. So let's get started. I would love to know, and I'd love the audience to know what exactly happens from start to finish you guys get a phone call for sexual assault. Well, uh, you know, you can report it many ways. You don't have to, if it's an emergency, you call 911 or you can go into a station or you can even go into a hospital to report. Um, but the first is we're going to send an initial response team um, to investigate. And if there's, you know, injuries or medical attention needed, that's going to be the first priority. And things have changed over the last few years where when I came on the job initially, um, the uniform officers that responded, they would do the initial investigation. They would do the, initial, they would do the initial interviews and stuff like that. Now, um, law enforcement's really evolved in handling these crimes. And so they have units, uh, sexual assault response teams um, that are investigators, detectives that are specially trained to handle victims of violent crime and victims of sexual assault, uh, especially when there's minors involved. Um, so their officers or investigators are going to respond that are much more prepared to handle these types of situations. Um, again, first thing is, is medical attention needed, uh, securing the crime scene and obtaining evidence. And then it's going to evolve from an initial interview, you know, what happened, where did it happen, which way did the guy go, what's the description, so we can try and catch the guy immediately. Um, then it's going to go into a very in-depth, um, a very personal in-depth interview of exactly what happened. And it's, it's very important to understand um, a lot of victims don't want to go in-depth. Yeah, it's hard. Happened. It's very hard. And, uh, but the importance of that in-depth investigate an interview is um, there are a lot of different sex crimes mm -hmm. and they each have different prerequisites or requirements to satisfy what that crime have you met that crime and so um, it has to be a very detailed interview of uh, you know was there penetration was it with just a, a finger or an object or you know those type of things and it's and again it's a very uh, personal in-depth um, uh, you know step by step what happened and how did it go and then it, it gets into uh, the investigative stage where you're trying to cooperate and collect evidence wow so when you when you guys get the call and that's not all sexual assaults right you're not going to get a call for all sexual assaults uh not in an emergency type thing where mm -hmm. an assault's happening now or just occurred and there's 911 call. A lot of the sexual assaults are reported a day or two later and where the 
victim has to build up the courage to come and tell you guys. You know, tell them that, that what happened. So again, you could come into a station, you could go to a hospital and, and initially report. So it depends on, you know, for as an investigator, the sooner, the closer to the crime that I can know about it, um, the chances are that I'm going to be able to collect more evidence mm -hmm. and, um, and be able to prosecute the person who did the crime. So if they wait a couple days, is it harder to connect, collect the evidence? Yeah, obviously, because there's going to be less evidence there. Mm -hmm. So if you're the victim of a sexual assault, what I would prefer is to get a call right away. Immediately after. Immediately. And I know, um, again, it's a very difficult situation for the victim. And they sometimes feel very dirty. Well, they, they disassociate too. So sometimes yeah. it's like you you completely disconnect from your body. Right. Exactly. And then you tell someone that's close to you. And then they're the ones that are like, you need to go to the they police. Yeah. Um, but if I can have you know contact with you as soon as I can, then again, that there are better chances I'm gonna be able to collect evidence to prove the crime. So you know, uh, one problem is that because of the whole victim aspect, they feel dirty or they can smell the scent of the suspect or whatever. And so their initial instincts are to shower or bathe. And mm -hmm. obviously we don't want that because you're, again, washing away evidence. Um, a lot of times their clothing is torn or damaged. And so they want to discard that. And obviously when you discard it, you're discarding evidence, evidence that, that yeah. I want to collect. Um, I, we don't want you to wash your hands or comb your hair. Um, again, if it's in your home or apartment, um, you know, the, the side of the scene is a, is a reminder. So their instinct is to clean that area or wash the bedding or something like that. And again, that's all. They have to look at it like a crime scene. It is a crime scene. Yeah. And it's everything that they're doing to help cleanse themselves, they're cleansing evidence, they're cleansing the crime scene. Um, so those things are really important to us. Um, and again, it's very difficult. We understand it's very difficult for the victim to, you know, subject themselves to these types of interviews and, and the, the clinical things that we have to do. Um, but it's a huge problem. And the only way to end the problem is to catch the perpetrator. Yeah, catch the predators that are out there. Yeah. Well, Okay. Oh, I was gonna say, and you know, they don't usually start with a sexual assault. They build up to it, um, just like most other crimes. You don't start by robbing a bank. You kind of work your way into yeah, it. Heavy build, yeah, you build your courage. Same thing with sexual predators. They're gonna start with crimes like groping or you know stalking and things like that. Um, and if those go unreported, then the crimes are allowed to continue and escalate. The person gains more experience and they gain more courage, but they, they're not caught or you know, you know, pursued after the, their violations. Mm -hmm. what, were, what would be some things that you would warn women to look for while they're out for, for these types of predators? Well, there's a, a whole lot of things that women can do to protect themselves. Um, you know, what I've discovered in over 30 years of law enforcement is bad guys don't want to get caught. Yeah. So they choose their victims and they choose situations where they think they can be successful. So if you present yourself as uh, a potentially easy victim, 
you're more likely to be a victim than if you present yourself in a different fashion. Like an example is when you're leaving the market late at night, the person who has her head in her phone, not paying attention, and walks to their car and fumbles through their purse, again, not aware of their surroundings, um, fumbles in their purse for their keys and that kind of thing, and spends a lot of time not focused around them, or a lot more likely to be a victim than the lady who comes out of the store, has her keys already in her hand, ready to go. They're standing upright and you know, very aware of their surroundings. So the bad guy's watching. The first lady I explained, he thinks that he can get close to her and victimize her easy with much, not much fight. Where There's not going to be a lot of force. Right. Where he sees the second victim, hey, she's alert. I'm not going to be able to get close to her without um, her noticing me and making a, you know, and she looks like she's a fighter. I'm going to put him in a fight. Mm -hmm. So um, those type of things. And a lot of it's just avoiding situations. You know, if you're going to go out walking late at night, don't do it alone. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go out walking at night, avoid dark, dark areas, places. dark places. When you're walking, you walk against traffic so that you can see if a car is, you know, slowing or pulling to the curb and, you know, it's easier to, to notice things like that. Um, I highly recommend women or anybody carry um, personal defense devices like um, there's OC spray, um, um, there's personal alarms or things like that. There's things that you can attach to your keys. So it makes it easier to make your keys and yeah. make it easier to access, but easier to make your keys use as a weapon to help mm -hmm. defend yourself. Um, I highly recommend you know, self-defense classes. There's a lot of martial arts studios or you know, people connected with law enforcement stuff that put on one day, two day, three day seminars on basic self-defense stuff. Um, but again, it's the biggest advice I can give is being alert to your surroundings. Um, in my job, I did a lot of surveillance um, and it was amazing to me how easy it was to follow most people because um, they're just not looking, they're not paying attention. Yeah. So all the listeners, if, can you tell me the last time you parked at your house or pulled into your driveway, could you tell me if there was a car behind you? And if so what color was it? Uh, I guarantee you most of them can't. Um, so it's paying attention it's, to your surroundings. Right. As you're, you know, when you're driving home at night, um, it, looking behind you, you know, last couple turns and seeing if there's a, a vehicle making the same turns as you. That's a, a very popular um, a very common um, type of crime is a follow-home crime where they'll recognize a victim at out in public at a restaurant or, you know, a, a market or a bank or something like that, and they'll follow them home because they think that it's going to be isolated. Um, so it's very common to follow their victims home. So as so sometimes it's happening in these people's houses because they've been followed home. Or their driveways or their yards or garages. Um, that, that's very common. A lot of suspects, you know, sometimes they're creatures of opportunity. They see something, but, um, in a sexual assault crime, they're usually out hunting for victims Yeah. and either they're going to see them 
and then wait for an opportunity that's uh, more advantageous to them, or they're going to actually stalk them and follow them home and that kind of stuff. Do some of them <clears throat> stalk for days, or is it like what what would or what have you seen like being in crime enforcement? Uh, I yeah, I've seen the whole gamut from opportunity. I'm here now. She looks vulnerable, and I'm in a place where I think I can get away with it, or I put myself in a place where I can find a woman that's vulnerable, like in a club or something right. like that. Um, or all the way to, um, you know, two out of three sexual assault victims know their know their predator, know their predator. Um, so that person may have been watching or stalking them for a while. How would a woman like detect that? Like, how would you detect that? You know this person like are there any signs that you could look for or have you seen like any common or common character traits with these guys when you're interviewing them yeah again it's going to be the whole staying alert if you're not paying attention you're not going to see anything yeah. so as you're you know like i started to say as you're coming home late at night or um certain times of day when you might be more vulnerable you need to pay attention to as you're making those last couple turns to your house. Is there a car that's you know shadowing me, making those same turns? And if there is, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to continue making another couple turns or two to see if that car continues. And if it does, you know, drive to a police station or drive to a very public place. Um, you know, or, or get on your cell phone and call the police. I think a lot of people don't even know where the nearest station is right yeah, I, yeah that's a big problem especially in today's age we're so cell phone connected we do everything through the phone yeah. we don't know where everything is we have to put it in our cell phone to tell yeah. us where to go that kind of stuff but um uh, when you get home especially if it's late at night you know keep your doors locked and leave your lights on until you're you know you're in your garage and you you're aware that nobody's followed you in or followed you to your house before you close the door and unlock your car you know same yeah. thing if you're getting dropped off at your house you know ask the person hey can you wait till i get in the house before you you leave yeah. and that kind of stuff but um again a lot of it is common sense if you think about it mm -hmm. it's avoiding situations that make you more vulnerable it's when you're in those situations you pay attention and you appear to be not vulnerable and that yeah. you you're willing to you know, um, put up a fight because you want to look like you put up a right. fight to these people. And again, you can't guarantee that you're not going to be the victim, but it's a lot less likely to be a victim if you appear aware, alert, and and prepared. You know, the suspect's going to look at you and say, "Well, that's not going to be an easy target. I'll wait till an easier time. target comes yeah. around." What would you say for the guys that the women do know? Like, have you, are there any common or com like if you because you said two out of three that they know them? Yeah, but that knowing could be you know like you, a neighbor, a neighbor, yeah. or you know you work at a market or a business, and, and this person in passing, this person's come into the business, or so th these are people that probably have watched you be unaware over time, right? And again, you know, it, it being alert, you're gonna notice this person. Well, everywhere I show up, this person happens to be somewhere in the background if I'm paying attention, you know, or I see their car parked on my street or something like that. You know, for me, it's just habit. Every time I come home, I'm very, I lived in my, my same house for quite a while now. 
but I know which you know who's who. I know what cars belong on my street and what cars don't. And if I see a car that doesn't belong on my street, I pay attention to it. And especially if there's somebody sitting in that car or there's shades up, you know, trying to you know block me to see who's in that car. Um, and you know, the listeners can't be afraid to call the police yeah. for something suspicious. Um, we would much rather get called on something suspicious than not get called when something happened. Something happened. And that's what the, you know, the police get paid for is to come check those things out. If that person sitting in the car is something innocent, then they'll be able to explain to us that it's something innocent and we'll move on our way and they move on their way. Um, and it's um, no harm, no foul, mm -hmm. in, in my opinion. But um, you know, don't be afraid to have it looked at or you're suspicious of people. When you interview these guys, what's going on for them? Well, there's not a lot of uh, um, commonality. I mean, there's, um, I, it's not, it's just like yeah, it's all over the board. It's all over the board. The whole thing is it's uh, an obsession. Um, and for many, many, many cases, it's not the actual sect sex act it's the build up to that it's the uh control a lot of it's control um, issues control issues um overpowering dominating you know over you know, dominating um it's those type of issues that's what you know gets their their kicks from the act not the actual sex act um so you're looking for those types of personalities but i've seen people who really press that and they appear to be very docile on the outside um, but can be very dominating or extreme in their thinking mm -hmm. so again it's uh it's hard to say a, a specific pattern the whole thing is just paying attention and to you know people's actions people's words um and realizing that you know this is a a very difficult trying to prove yeah especially you know like on a date rape type situation um it's a very difficult situation where it's you may have even had prior sex consensual sex yeah and now it's to a point and domestic violence like some people are married to their yeah. husbands yeah that's true um so just because you've consented one time in the you know in the past doesn't you know, it's not a carte blanche. You can yeah. always, you know, control what happens to you in your body and um, say no. So again, it, it comes between the detective or the investigators working with the victim to prove everything that she's saying. And there are four main defenses that we usually have to overcome. Um, the first defense is... Um, denial it never happened the guy denies the, yeah the the well it doesn't always have to be a guy but the the, the, the suspect yeah. the suspect denies yeah. that's going to be their defense what me wasn't there didn't happen or i was there but there was no sex act or no assault <clears throat> and the second defense is identity that may have happened but it wasn't me uh, so these are the things that i'm going to have to prove yeah it was you and this is how i can prove that. Uh, the third one is consent. Yeah, we had sexual contact, but she consented or the victim consented that we do that. 
And then the fourth one, which is the most difficult one to handle in court is um, it's the, uh, where you undermine the credibility of the victim. Mm. Um, you know, and like many, she's crazy or she's well, many, you know, many times it's stuff that's logical when you think about it, but the defense is going to turn it to make it look very bad. An example that would be, you know, you're the victim of violent assault and you give your initial reports of what happened. And now two or three days later, you've thought about it and, you know, you kind of dealt with it. And now you remember something significant that you didn't remember initially. Yeah, which is common. In, which is very common in traumatic incidents. Yeah. Um, it's, it's common in like police shootings when they're involved in a traumatic incident. Sometimes they don't recall. Well, it's the fight or flight response. Exactly. Your nervous system goes into a shock mode. And it shuts down. And then it shuts down and you literally are back into like an animal primitive state. Right. So those facts that, the fact that you didn't initially recall something and several days later, now you're adding information the defense attorney will try and turn that against your credibility and they're going to try even though that's a medical like fact yeah i mean anything can be argued in court you yeah. know and so they're gonna or if you change your statement or the you know months later you're re-interviewed and there's a slight variation or again sometimes you just remember things differently those things are going to be used to try and impeach the victim and you know attack their credibility and sometimes it's very painful to watch in court um you know you have a righteous victim who her lifestyle the way she was dressed you know things in her past those her mental state those type of things are all gonna she's gonna be attacked um, and again, some defense attorneys are a lot more aggressive than others, but those, those, but those are also going to make her more attacked like by a predator. So it's like her lifestyle. Like, I mean, even like, I don't, I think you should be able to walk around naked if you want and you shouldn't get assaulted, but it's like, all of that does play into someone choosing you basically. Yeah, it can. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you decide to do, you know, yoga in your, the wind, in your living room with your blinds open and you're scantily clad you know you're gonna you can draw attention to yourself you know but again everybody has the right to live their wife life the way they choose without yeah. being victimized totally. but the defense attorney is going to attack anything that they can basically right you know the defense attorney his job is to have his client go free and the prosecutor's job is to have his client go to jail do the defense do the defense attorneys know that they've raped when they're defending them? They, or do they lie? Like, do the guys lie? Like, or the, the, the um, predator? So, do you get what I'm saying? Like, does the defense attorney know sometimes, like, oh, I'm defending someone that's guilty? I think they do. Um, you know, again, I, um, most of my interaction with defense attorneys is in court. So, what they knew prior you don't know yeah um whether their clients decided to confide in them you don't know or is i think the majority of the time their they clients know. probably I, I think they don't i think they they might suspect or but i think for the majority of times the clients are going to continue to lie to them as well yeah you know? so best case scenario would be a plea bargain is that 
um, accurate or like someone just admits they're guilty? Yeah, which is very rarely going to happen where someone's going to you know, say, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Um, very rarely. Even, you know, I, I teach a lot of interviewing and interrogation. I've, I've been in a lot of interviews and interrogations and getting a confession uh, is not what I'm looking for because it's so rare to have. What are you looking for? I'm looking for, you know, things that I can get them to early on. I want them to commit to things that I can prove later are true. So you're locking them into a story to lies um, are getting them to place themselves after the scene of the crime or, th you know, things like that, that I can build my case around <clears throat> because if I, I go in there, I'm going to get a confession or I'm, you know, that's going to make my case. I'm very rarely going to get that. I mean, mm -hmm. there's very few people that are going to say, okay, I did it. Um, we see that on TV a lot, but very rarely does does that actually yeah. happen? Even when you present people with, here's a video of you doing it. Well, that's not me, or that's not how it went. You know, I mean. Um, Even though you have a video, don't yeah. say it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> You'd be surprised. That, so, the level of psychology there, I would yeah, like yeah. go a little mad. Yeah. So then, then like worst case scenario, you're going to go all the way through trial. Yeah, worst case scenario. So the plea bargain, it does two things. The suspect is technically going to admit to the crime. Not He's not going to say, I did it. Mm -hmm. He's going to agree that he'll plead guilty if he get, but it's always going to be a lesser sentence. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be some motivation why he's willing to, to so take the deal. That. So you get to like lessen the sentence or something. Yeah. Or, you know, he's going to be convicted of a lesser crime. And especially like in a minor sexual assaults, they're always looking to get it reduced in plea bargain to like a, a regular assault or some other kind of crime so they don't have to be a sex registry uh, or things like that. So do the women have to agree to that too? Like do they have, or how does that work? They don't have to. The district attorney- Or not the, the, the victim, the victim. Like the victim. Yeah, they don't have to. The district attorney, is the one who's going to offer the deal mm -hmm. and they can do it even though the, the despite the victim's wishes they can still you know make a plea bargain but ultimately the judge has to agree on the plea bargain mm -hmm. as well so the judge can I, and i've seen it very rarely but i have seen a judge say no i'm not, you're not going to give him that deal he we're going to take this trial or he, he needs more sentencing that's Real quick, what is for those people that don't know? <clears throat> my dad's a lawyer, so I know what a plea bargain is. Will you explain a plea bargain? Uh, a plea bargain is basically where I'm charged with a crime, and then I'll make an agreement with the prosecutor. Um, all right, I'll plead guilty, but you're going to give me a lesser sentence, or I'll plead guilty, and you're going to charge me instead of with a sexual assault, you're going to charge me with a regular assault. Mm -hmm. or, and there's there's a deal made so that it doesn't have to impact their life as heavily well, right well, well that it, it's basically to save the courts from going through the trial mm -hmm. and many times um especially with minor victims and stuff like that that's very difficult very traumatic it's super traumatic to be on the stand and replay this whole incident with the person who was 
the suspect in it sitting right across from you mm -hmm. and listening to you and watching you. Um, so that's a very difficult situation for some people. So to prevent them having to go through that, sometimes they'll make plea bargains. And again, sometimes it's just to save the time of the courts and stuff like that. Unfortunately, can't to say that, but um, you know that, that does come in play. But the victim technically doesn't really have a say, but most prosecutors will try and like if the victim's adamant, I really don't want to go through this. You know, I, I don't know if I can do that. They're going to try and instead of making their case go away, they're going to try and do a plea bargain or, or something like that. Or like, again, with minors and stuff like that, it's just better for the victim that they don't have to go through that. Do they have minors in court? Yeah. When I when I had my assault, like they didn't bring me into court. They they had me uh, do a. I did have to go through an interview, but it was with a social worker. Yeah. yeah, so it was like in a side room. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of procedures. This on, was like 20 years ago. Yeah. There's a lot of, and there's still, it, you know, despite what um, a lot of people think, law enforcement's continually trying to improve, and and I yeah. think. We're a lot <clears throat> better now at handling these type of situations than we were, you know, even you know, 35 years ago when I came on the job. Um, we're much better at it than yeah. we were back then. And you know, we're constantly trying to get better. You're evolving. There's a lot of efforts to protect, especially minors and victims and stuff like that, and how we handle victims and the, the psychology and the lasting effects and the, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot more training and and you know, e even now, almost every modern police department or every major police department is not going to have the sterile interview room where these things are conducted. They have uh, what they call um, like luxury suite, not luxury suites, but they have rooms specifically set up to interview um, victims of sexual assault or that are softer basically you know they're different coloring they're couches and you know comfortable chairs in there they may have toys and stuffed animals and stuff that you know there's decorations on the wall they're not going to be the clinical you know gray walls steel tables steel chairs mm -hmm. you know they're, they're, it's a softer room um, to try and make a more comfortable environment you know and again the the victims always offered if they want to talk to you know a same sex yeah female yeah investigator or they're comfortable with a person they initially met you know that kind of stuff there and that person is going to have you know when I came on the job um, we got a you know, I don't even remember how many hours it was we got a few hours in the academy on how to handle these type of things and not much other training um, maybe an hour or two every couple of years. Uh, now, the people who are assigned to handle these investigations go through extensive training on how to deal with the victims, how to investigate these crimes, you know, the, how to deal with the aftermath and, you know, helping that person uh, obtain resources and stuff they need to get their life back on track. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge um, change in, in, the, in the way the police are handling <clears throat> Yeah. It was like 10 years ago. I mean, the cases that I have, like even now as a doctor, like 10 years ago, the interrogation is like, is one of the most damaging parts for some of these girls. Yeah. Well, it shouldn't be an interrogation. But that's what it was, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. it's, it's the, it's the, the damage from, you know, like from what were you wearing? What was going on? Like the, it's yeah. almost like victim shaming 
yeah. that people have experienced in yeah. the police. And I tried to explain it earlier. You know, again, the hopefully the investigator is more comfortable than they would have been in the past mm -hmm. just because of their training and stuff. But you got to understand that's a you know uncomfortable situation for them as well. But it's it's a unfortunately it's a legal requirement to gather the data to gather the information so that you can get a prosecution mm -hmm. um you know and then you know what crimes were actually violated and did i meet the statute did i meet the requirements of that crime yeah or you know you know your case can completely go to hell if i charge with this particular crime mm -hmm. and then we get to court and you that's not what happened. He didn't meet the elements of that crime. Yeah. He did. He, he committed another crime, but it was just a different type of sexual assault. But I charged him with the wrong charge. So then it might get thrown out because the it, charge yeah. is wrong. Or you know, it's you know, you can try and amend the charges and things like that, but it, it's a lot more difficult and complicates the case. So you want to know all the facts up front, and based on you know the initial interview, is going to tell me where I can go and look for additional evidence, you know, forensic evidence, you know, that kind of thing. So you get it, it's a very, uh, it's a difficult case to prove to begin with, because usually it's one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and it's a very touchy and traumatic situation that uh, we're kind of trying to do our best to, to deal with, but it, you know, it has to go through the steps. And again, I think we're, in, in law enforcement in general, I think we're a lot better equipped to handle these situations than we were even just, you know, 30 years in the past. Um, I think 10 years. I mean, even everything yeah, that's yeah. happened with, like, the case recently that I'm, I've am i known of um, is, like, the way that the social workers are there in the court right. and, and, like, really being there for the for the victims and being like like a handholding even yeah, and, and the departments are working close with victims advocates and, mm -hmm. and and that kind of you know social workers incorporated into the investigation and that kind of stuff yeah um and they're responding more as a team of trained professionals rather than two uniform officers fresh out of the academy you know give me the facts ma'am and taking a report yeah you know? um so i think you know again we're you know, they most major police departments have these sexual response teams and they're, and they're incorporating, you know, again, victims, advocates, social workers, psychologists, yeah. and, and working with the detectives who have received a lot more training on how to deal with these situations. Do you feel like as a police officer sometimes, or what you've seen from working with people underneath you, that people lose empathy a little bit when they're going through it? Um, because you have to shut off at some point, right? You right. can't just like take everything in. Yeah, it, it, that's the hardest thing to do uh, as a police officer that most police, most people outside law enforcement don't understand. You know, what we, what we see, you know, especially, you know, like this, working in Los Angeles. Um, you see the worst of the worst. Yeah, and I worked the units where I was dealing with the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to see... The worst suspects, uh, you know, I'm, I can tell you, I've sat in interview rooms where I truly believe I'm sitting across the table from evil, yeah. you know, and it just gives me goosebumps, you know, talking to these people. Um, and then, 
I have to go home and be a husband, a father, a grandfather, you know, coach my kids. And, and I got to be able to separate myself from that. And, I, and we're human. Yeah. So, you know, most of us early on in our careers learn, you know, this defense mechanisms and ways of coping with uh, the stress that we see. And there are a few that have a hard time. Again, empathy or lack of empathy is is one way of of people coping with it. And For not, sure. Right. Well, because you have to disconnect. And I even I mean, even as a doctor, I have that where it's like I see awful things as a doctor right. and have it. And like, how do you help people psychologically heal? Which is like part of the reason why I wanted to have this section of right. my company. And it's just like it's. I see really awful things and then I have to go and be with my family and like not talk about or bring right. that extra trauma home, you know? And it's just like, I've even struggled with that. So it's like, but I also don't have to, like, I'm more in the healing realm. Like right. I'm not, I'm not needing to like, if people want to talk about it, they can, if they don't want to talk about it, I don't have to talk about it. I'm not a psychologist, you know, like, right. well, I have a degree in child psychology, but it's like, I'm not acting as a psychologist for them where with the police officers, it's like, your job is to gather all of the information right? right so what would be like if if someone say like is assaulted they've already called the police if a police officer if they feel uh, doesn't have all of this training per se where it's like they're able to gather the data or like as advanced in los angeles because right. all over the world it's not as advanced as it is over here so what would be some things that like some tools that you could give the person that just like go through the whole motion of the process and like not take it so personally if somebody doesn't have empathy or would you even recommend for them to say something to the officer well uh, like where it's an interrogation and not gathering right. data you know well an interrogation is very confrontation it's a term meant for very confrontational you know yeah. interviewing um is more softer where you're you know looking for narrative versus you know, where were you on Sunday? Where, what time did you yeah. get home? You know, those type of, that's an interrogation where you're really, it's driving in. Yeah, you can't, it's confrontational. Interviewing is what you do to a victim or a witness. Mm -hmm. Interrogation is what you do to, in certain cases, interrogation is what you do to a suspect. Um, first of all, I think they, every victim needs to know that if you don't feel comfortable with the person you're talking to, ask to tell them or ask to talk to their supervisor and tell the supervisor, I don't feel comfortable with that person. With this person, can I please have a, a female officer? Can I please speak with somebody else? Because I'm I'm just not feeling comfortable with that person. And there are some, you know, again, I, I've come across many officers who just have that, you know, hard time bonding with people or being sympathetic or empathetic and showing you know the sympathy and empathy you know again when i or you know when i first came on the job you know it, it was very big deal that we don't show our emotions yeah um and that's you know no matter what you see no matter what you hear you don't you don't show your emotions you know we hang tough and you know have that that tough persona i think that's you know softened a little bit um mm -hmm. in modern times but still you know if if the police responded and you know and had dramatic emotional responses, would, it wouldn't be a safe place. We, like, we would yeah. have much confidence that the citizens yeah. were protecting. 
you expect the person to maintain, you know, professionalism and you know, the lack of emotion. Um, but you know, sometimes it's 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 needed to be able to connect with a victim and make a victim feel comfortable, or even a witness and things like that. Some you know, witnesses aren't comfortable with certain things, and so you got to be able to connect. Yeah, some people them. don't want to get involved. Yeah, and it's hard to you know walk that fine line. You know, you want to be this stoic person, but you need to, you know, sometimes come across as a human, yeah. you know, and uh, a caring person. And, but, you know, I would, you know, I, I had a great career and almost everybody that I worked with were there for the right reasons and caring people, you know, whether they always showed that side of themselves or not. But, you know, it, it is a difficult thing for us to deal with that stress. Well, yeah, it's a high, high stress job right. and you're seeing the worst of the worst and, and just, you know, and people and humanity, you're seeing the worst right. in humanity. It's hard to, when you see um, that side of people, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to trust. It's, you know, people in the general population don't realize how much violent crime and how much bad things happen in their neighborhood around them because they're for the most part never exposed to it and they're protected mostly you know like it's like you, the systems in place so those violent seeds don't grow big right big trees right and then and it doesn't mean that they're not like bad stuff doesn't happen it just means that we you guys do your job to make sure it's smaller than yeah but I, you know again i i think that in general, people just do not realize how much violent crime there is, and it's drastically increasing uh, over the last few years um, because they're isolated from it, or they've grown up in a, in a, a home that was protected from it, and those type of things. Mm -hmm. Do would you say it's everywhere? Uh, well, some places obviously more than others, but I, I don't think there's any place that can completely say they're crime free. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's so crazy. When you're looking at the, like, say, like the the case for sexual assault goes to trial, what would you say the most difficult part of that is? is would it be proving them guilty, or would it be, you know, just like the the trauma of the trial? Well, for the tr when you get to the trial, um, in today's day, especially in a big city like Los Angeles, you're not going to get to trial unless you have more than sufficient evidence mm -hmm. you know and how that's presented and the defense that's brought up you know is something you really can't control um the, the biggest part for me in a trial like that is you know the the struggle of the victim to tell the story you got to remember that you know this doesn't happen you know in a week or a month no, it's these cases you know, especially if you have the evidence, if you have a strong case, you're going to get a date. Hey, we're going to go to trial on this date. You're going to go to court. You can prepare. And they're going to say, we're continuing it for a month. And then you're going to be brought back again in a month. And you're going to spend time talking with the investigator and the, and the attorney preparing for trial. And then mm -hmm. it's going to be continued again. And it's going to be a constant ongoing thing that's a that's part of the defense is 
string in the song as long as you can. You know, their defense attorney has a job. Their job is to keep their client out of jail. Um, some would say it is necessary, but um, that's what they're doing. They're going to continue because the longer they continue, the less likely to have witnesses come forward and, and continue to keep coming forward and have victims. You know, sometimes victims just get where I just, I just I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm done. I want to get it over with. You know, some victims that become, you know, stronger and like this, there's no way this guy's getting away with this. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to, yeah. you know, follow this through to the end. <laughs> so <clears throat> the trial is not the, um, getting up to the trial is the difficult part. I yeah. see. <clears throat> the trial is difficult. Again, um, in most cases, you're going to have to get, in front of the whole court um, mm -hmm. and say exactly what happened. The whole time, the, the guy who did this to you is, or the person who did this to you is sitting right across from you looking at you and making faces, making comments or whatever he's doing. But you're gonna have to confront that person. And you know, that's not easy to do. <clears throat> do you have any? advice that you would give people in that situation like how to prepare for it mentally or anything well you know it just you know like any other stressful situation you know you have to have distractions and prepare but you just to me you have to you know, put on your game face and be prepared for a fight and that you're you're going to come out of that victorious and you're going to come out of it stronger and that person is not going to win they're not going to you know victimize you again you're you're going to come out of it victorious and just mentally prepared to do that and uh, <clears throat> a lot of surviving this stuff is is mental preparedness you know you know and it starts at the very beginning if you never thought about what you would do if you're a victim of a crime, it's a lot harder to deal with it when it happens. And now you're thinking about it for the first time. If you've prepared and thought about, if somebody tried to assault me, I'm gonna fight and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm gonna gouge eyes, I'm gonna go for the- Juggler. Yeah, I'm gonna go for the juggler. I don't care if I, name or scar but i'm not going to be a victim you have to mentally prepare yourself to do that that way you're not in fight or flight when it happens right. you you've thought about it and this is what i'm going to do you know in contradicting um, theories if a person comes up and they're robbing me there's nothing that you or i have that's worth my life or injury mm -hmm. i'm going to E quickly and easily give up my money, give up my watch, give up the jewelry, um, and I'm gonna be fully cooperating. Um, that changes when the person wants to move me from one place to another, or it you know becomes a physical assault. There's no more you know cooperating. There's no more. It is. I'm going to fight. I'm going to get away. I'm going to survive this. And I don't care what I have to do to, you know, but that's something that it's a lot easier to do 
if you thought about it and prepared yourself ahead of time. And that's why you highly recommend self-defense classes. Oh yeah, exactly. There's there's ways that even a smaller stature, um, weaker person can you know could strike or um, cause pain or injury at least long enough to get free of a grass mm -hmm. and a con you constantly want to be yelling the whole time but your whole goal is to extract yourself from that yeah. you know that situation um what would so you, that's like one thing that you would recommend yell the whole time yes and yeah, it doesn't have to be rape 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 it could be fire 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 whatever you can do to draw attention to you the bad guy, again, his goal is to not get caught. So the more you can do to draw attention to yourself or what's happening, um, the better or the, the more he's going to be in fear, get caught and likely to flee. Um, and again, if, if you cause him some pain and injury, again, the more likely that he's going to, okay, this isn't working out for me. I don't want to get caught. Uh, this person's going to fight. I'm going to. I'm going to flee. Mm -hmm. um, you know. So, and again, there are no guarantees, but it's all talking about success. The success rate is less likely that you're going to be victimized. It's more likely that you're going to be successful if you're prepared for it. You look. You're paying attention. You're alert, and you know you're ready to successful in getting away. Right. Mm -hmm. And do whatever it's going to take to to get away. You know? Yeah. Would you say call like there's like the emergency SOS on the phones? Would you hit that or 911? Like what would be your steps? Like if okay, say something like you somebody's with you now and you like you could potentially get raped. They're in front of you and it already starts moving. What would you say the steps are for a woman to know? Or a man, the well, victim. Yeah, well, first of all, it's gonna be to extract yourself from that situation. And it's the first thing. And if you can talk your way out of it, that's fine. If you need to get physical, that's, you, know, you, you do what you have to do. And you got to be loud. You got to draw attention to it and try to extract yourself. And as soon as you can, you're going <clears> to <throat> um, want to, you know, notify the authorities. But that might be, you know, we've seen situations where crowds kind of, ignore or that's like that's don't psychology act. you know don't like, act, right um one thing that i found helpful is if you point single somebody out you yeah. call the police i need help you call them you know yeah when you point somebody out and direct them they're more likely to follow through than if you just yell and help, 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 help. Yeah. Because a lot of times people will say, well, I thought somebody else was going to call. People freeze. It's like yeah. in, in psychology, when I was learning psychology, it's like these crimes can happen in front of people because everyone's like, someone else will do it. And that's right. why you have to give someone yeah. a specific job. Even if somebody like, I've had it happen where people have like literally fallen on the ground, see, like having a seizure and people just stand there where it's like you have to pin the body a certain way so right. the tongue doesn't. And everyone just stands there and you have or to somebody like, who has yeah. training steps in and says, Hey, you, you do call this. 911, you, you go get the CPR thing, you know, and lot, it's like, you have to direct people. Yeah. You're a lot more likely to have things happen. If, yeah. You know, you're specifically directing somebody. So you would say like the crime is happening and you as the victim need to be willing to direct somebody as it's going on. So like yeah. try and calm down, take a breath and then look to see if there's someone you can direct to call. Yeah, you're, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna want to get 
closer to more people, more witnesses. Yeah. You're you're drawing attention to the act, and again, to make sure that it's not going to go unreported. If you can't do it right away, direct somebody to yeah. do it. And if it doesn't look like they're doing it, direct somebody else. And you know, like if you're fleeing and you run to where you know there's a crowd of people or a group of people, yeah. um, that's one way of it. Because again, um, everyone else a lot of people think well somebody else is going to call mm -hmm. or somebody's already called why should i call i don't want to get involved but if you're directed you're more likely to, to, to get involved and do something so then what would be the next step or say someone's not around like say like you're not around the crowd what like what is like what would be the step because it's like i think the people freeze you know right like where they're just like uh and then they just don't do anything where it's like grab you know grab your key like what the different things right. grab your mace call 911 like what's the flow well because you can call 911 and just like scream your name or something right right, right. Uh, it's it's better if you give a location on 911 you know eventually they can track your phone yeah but it's lengthy and it's not completely accurate you mm -hmm. know cell phone tracking gets you to you know, depending on how far you are from the tower. Would that be the difference between calling them in one and doing an emergency SOS on the phone? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, again, I'm not real familiar with how the emergency SOS, what the, the technology behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, but 911, you know, they immediately, your number comes up and, and things like, and they can start pulling some information. Um, but you want to give your location if you can. Mm -hmm. um, because that's going to get people there coming more immediately yeah. versus if you leave it to them to track where your cell phone is and stuff like that because again that can be a lengthy process and you know some cell phone companies will not give us information about a warrant warrants can take hours or two hours to, to get them to get them you yeah. know we can do exigent circumstances to make it a little bit quicker but again you don't want to have you know if, if you can give a location um Maybe you want to do that. Yeah. But again, the whole thing is you need to extract yourself from as quick as possible. As quick as possible. And again, willing to do whatever it takes to, to do that. And the next thing is report immediately. And I know it's a, a very difficult thing for people to kind of keep us all in mind, but yeah. think about being a witness. Yeah. Think about how much was the guy taller than me? Was he shorter than me? you know, scars, tattoos, odors, you know, anything, you know, clothing, anything. So even during it, getting as present as possible. Right. Anytime you're a victim of any crime, you, you want to get as present You want to be the best witness that you can. Yeah. Um, especially in a traumatic situation, it's not easy to think about those things. Unless, again, the more you think about these things, um, prior to the more prepared you the more trained you are the more prepared you are. yeah you're, you're you're essentially just like going to combat right. you know with and, training and law enforcement that's that's the biggest thing we do is training is we we talk about it and sometimes you know if you have a partner in the car you're talking about it hey we're pulling this car over if this happens this is how we're going to react if that happens this is how we're going to handle it mm -hmm. you know if you know, when you're stopping somebody and you're going to go talk to them, hey, if this happens, this is how we're, and so you're thinking in your mind, even if you're just thinking in your mind, you know, you're watching the person, if he goes for a gun, this is how I'm going to handle it, if he mm -hmm. tries to flee, this is how I'm going to handle it, if he throws a punch at me, this is, I'm, I'm thinking about it ahead of time, 
so that you're more prepared if it does happen. So that's what you would recommend all women to do essentially is to think about, you know, what would you do in this type of situation? Yeah. And again, I, I don't think it's something- And men, women and men, I keep- Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I hope that it's not something that we have to completely overwhelm or dwell on in our lives, but it's something that, you know, if you want to protect yourself, there's certain steps that you can take, you know, again, and being prepared. You don't think about a lot, but you have to know that, hey, if, if I'm attacked, I'm willing to do this to survive. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, some people make it up in their mind. I'm, I'm going to go with it. I'm just going to make it as less painful and violent as I can. Yeah. You know, and that's a personal decision where you are on that spectrum of this ain't going to happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, I'm just going to submit and get it over and with. get it over with and deal with it with the least amount of pain and violence. <clears throat> and are those ones that submit a harder case? What's that? Are the ones that submit a harder case? Because it's like they don't have like, like the, the, the quite as much damage, right? With like those that fight, like, because you can prove that somebody's been right in a physical altercation right you know you have bruising and scratching and scratching and the nails and like all the um, different layers to it yeah and again if you have to make it known that it's unwanted yeah yeah even if it's just verbally you know you at some point you have to so if you want to that's not okay. if you want to run home like hit the home home run case you need to make it known that it was unwanted basically otherwise it gets tricky is that would that be fair to say? Um, it, it gets more complicated if you just fully submit and go with the flow because, you know, you have to show that there was force or fear and it was unwanted. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, don't do anything to let it be known, especially like in situations like, say, a date rape or a familiar um, rape, you, and if there's been consensual sex in the past you have to make it known hey this isn't this is not okay that. yeah it's not okay right now i don't i'm not doing this i don't want to do that stop and uh, um and you know everybody needs to know they have the right to say stop in any situation mm -hmm. you know that um it's never all right for somebody to, to take what they want from your body and you don't have a choice in it so it's a little more difficult case but you know, again, that's a decision that the victims can have to make. Mm -hmm. Proving the case, you know, um, it's, it's the investigator's job to prove it. It's, you know, the victim's job to get through it and survive it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody, you know, some victims are easier to work with and help me in my investigation. And some victims aren't. And, and as an investigator, I understand a lot of it is just, you know, what she's going through. You know, some people have different coping methods and some have stronger coping methods than others. And some are able to deal, you know, some women are the victims of this and then they're able to put it aside and move on with their lives and some women aren't, yeah. or some victims aren't. And, um, you know, it, it, it's hard, but again, that's the importance of that initial interview. And then it's up to me to 
okay, I can collect this evidence. I can go check for cameras. I could go, you know, interview witnesses. And did anybody hear anything, you know, and, and do the regular detective stuff um, to try and help them in that case. And what would you recommend for parents, you know, with the, with, with children? Cause that does happen with children as well. Right. Well, the, the first thing with parents is you really have to know that huh, what's that that you have to vet people yeah yeah you have to know who your children are with and who they are you mm -hmm. know and and know as much about them as you can um and try and protecting those situations you know to keep them safe and again you know you have there's a thing difference between you know, being overly protective and living your life. But again, there, you know, there are certain situations that, you know, you going to try very hard to avoid. Like when a, <clears throat> um, a person is coaching your kids, there's shouldn't be much time where that is one-on-one -on -one yeah. in complete isolation. That shouldn't, there shouldn't be much time for that. You know, I coached a lot of kids throughout the years. You know, I was, you know, I helped, you know, with Cub Scouts and stuff and, and my kids were very active in sports. I don't remember any time where there was a coach that was alone with my child. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. Or I, as a coach, I would never be alone with a child other than like on the field. My dad, for... Yeah. My dad was never alone with any of my friends. Right. Like he, even driving home, he was always like, nope, if you want your friend to come over, your right. friend, you're going to get in the car. And, and, and just, it was just the way I was. My house was the team post. Yeah. I would much rather have my kids bringing their friends to That's how my house. parents were, yeah. And I would see who they're associating with and stuff mm -hmm. rather than them go to somebody else's house. You know, they did go to friends' house and stuff like that. But um, it was never parents that I hadn't met. Not that you can completely vet it, but again, my my child should never be alone with another adult. Yeah, you know, except under extraordinary circumstances. The second thing is, and it's easier said than done, um, is have a, an open relationship with your child that they're full comfortable telling you when something happens. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it, if a parent is attentive, in most cases, they can tell if something's happened or yeah. if there's something's different. Something's off. Um, and and you got to biggest thing is ensure that they know that it's not their fault. Yeah. Um, a lot of you know these type of crimes, the victims take on responsibility of the crime. Mm -hmm. You know, why did I put myself in that situation? Why didn't I see that coming? You know, how could I, you know, I trusted that person, you know, they feel some responsibility. And when you're the victim of this type of crime, none of it's your fault. Yeah. You know, it, it's the bad guy's fault. You know, they, and they own all the responsibility for it. So the biggest thing with, you know, especially with kids is to, you know, ensuring that they know that no matter what they're feeling, it's not their fault. And they have no blame in it. Um, and it's hard to, you know, to move on from this stuff, but, you know, you can keep working at it. Would you say, like, what would you say the, <clears throat> the earliest age, I guess, as a parent and then also in your field that you should start talking to your kids about this type of thing? Uh, I don't know. There's a certain age, like, you know, like 
four, am I five? Four, six, four five. Yeah, we're like start having like more of like a no stop, don't do that, like body talk. Or? Yeah, that's more like five, six, you know, in there, but like four is, you know, don't go into strangers and and things like, like that. Like no one should be alone with you yeah, and always tell right. like mom or dad, and, you know, the different conversations. And if you don't feel comfortable, it's not okay. Yeah. You know? And if you don't feel comfortable, you need to tell mommy or daddy or, you mm -hmm. know, or, or, some, or tell somebody. Yeah. You know? But I, I, I think you can start, you know, you don't have to uh, be overly informative to the kid as a why. Yeah, it's just like but, starting the conversation. But, I mean, you can, I think you can start it fairly early, you mm -hmm. know, where, uh, again, there, you're, you know, you need to know that in, when you're at the playground, you don't walk off with different people, even if they're going to help, you're going to help you find your puppy or, you know, ice cream or candy. You know, when you see uh, people who are especially serial rapists and things like that, they're um, they really are aware of the psychology of ingratiation, mm -hmm. how to ingratiate themselves to people, and uh, they know how to to deceive people. They're good liars, and they know how to play on our psychology. You know, I, I trained a lot of undercover officers, and we train a lot in how to ingratiate yourself to people, get people to like you and accept you, and it's the same psychology that these bad guys are using to get you to accept them into your group. And that, that reminds me of another topic I want to bring up is especially, you know, younger people today, social media. If I'm stalking you, you're giving me all the information. You're giving everything. I, need, I know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to eat, what you don't eat, where you're going to be, what time you're going to be, who you're going to be there with. Um, we just give out so much information on our, of our personal information. Which, when I, you know, growing up, you know, I, I'm very personal about my information. And yeah, you're very private. Yeah, you know, I'm very private. I, yeah, I, I don't want people knowing about my social life or my yeah. my family life. It's like that, other than people that I want to know about it. And, you know, it happens to me all the time where I'll talk to a family member who I haven't talked to a while, and they'll tell me something like, how'd you know that? Well, I saw it on your daughter's Instagram or whatever, what, yeah. or Facebook or something. You know, if a, in, in law enforcement, we use it to our benefit. If I'm looking at a bad guy, I can, again, Go on social media. You know, we look at their social media all the time to see where they are, with who they're with and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, the whole thing is to just to, you know, be aware and protect yourself. You know, a lot of people don't, uh, understand that when you take a picture with your phone, your phone automatically geocodes that picture. It puts information in the background as to when, where that photo was taken. Well, yeah, and if you send it to someone, you can they can get that. Like if they if they know what they're doing, they can look at uh, um, that information hidden in the picture and and see where the exact location was. So if you're TikToking inside your house. Or you're taking a picture, you know, I, I worked a case where a celebrity had uh, took a picture of a new car in front of their house and they had a stalker and that stalker was able to read the geocoding and showed up at their house. Oh my God. And it was a person that they knew were, they were being stalked. They knew this person had shown up to events before and stuff like that. But um, 
but they had no idea of geocoding. And uh, so things like that to protect yourself, you know, again, um, you'd be surprised what I can learn from the background of your photos inside your house or apartment, you know, and if, if you're out on the street figuring out where you are. So the more information that you're giving out, the easier it is for, you're making it easier for somebody to stop you. You know, especially if you tell me, oh, I'm home alone this weekend or, you know, me and the girlfriends are going to this club or whatever it is. Uh, but that's just part of today's society is being more open and giving out more information. Yeah. But you are making it. I try not to post the day of, you know, like oh. the day that like I, I try and next day yeah. or a month later. Oh. Like if I go on a vacation or I go to other places, I don't know. I'll like do it a week later or, you know, when I'm not there anymore. Right. Right. And that, that's a good practice. Um, but again, like if I'm, if I'm, if I see things on your Instagram and I know what you like, what you don't like, right? The first thing about when you talk about relationships is it's human nature. We like people that are common with us, common allies. Yeah. Or people that are listening to us or people that are like paying attention to us. Those are all different ones, but one of the biggest ones is commonality. Yeah. We tend to like people who like the same things that we do. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, I dress the way I dress because I think that's the best way to dress. I, you know, I cut my hair the way I cut my hair. I listen to me because I think that's the best way. My political beliefs are that way because I think they're the best political beliefs. Yeah. <clears throat> so if somebody is similar to me, it's easier for me to, to like them, mm -hmm. you know. So if I go into a relationship knowing ahead of time what you like and don't like, I'm, I'm, I'm easier for me to manipulate that. That yeah wow that's a lot to think about you've given us a lot to think about you kind of just went off track a little bit no i love it all because i think it's important i think that people like even like on the children aspect it's like people that are predators are going to you know look for commonality they're gonna I and mean, even people like a lot of women are raped by people they know and so yeah. it's like these people are watching different aspects and then they're gonna you know like people are psychologically manipulative and so it's just being well, able to think about this not people stuff. especially oh. sexual predators yeah are very psychologically manipulative in most it's a commonality yeah because they're looking for that control and, and stuff like that and mm -hmm. dominance and, and it's all through manipulation a lot of this through manipulation you know that's another thing i mean we talk about kids the whole subject that we can talk another hour about is their social media and who they're talking to. It was impossible for me to get my, and again, my daughter started at the very, they're older now, they're yeah. at the very beginning stages of social media, but it was impossible to get my daughter to understand just because he says he's a 16 year old boy, doesn't mean he's not a 40 year old man yeah. sitting on his couch in his underwear. Yeah. You know, it, it's very difficult to get, People, you know, we have a whole generation that does everything through texting and, and, and not much personal. No, I mean, I, that's the thing is like, I mean, even I, I don't know if you know the stats, but 4,000 rape cases were on Lyft this year. And it's yeah. just like 4,000 rape cases in Lyft. And it's like, you're, this is part of like why I'm so passionate about this stuff. It's just like, 
that it's it's going on tinder it's going on these different things yeah. where it's like you're literally going into environments blind basically and you're just kind of like oh i met them and you're like you're saying like this could be this could be some hot guy you think and then you go somewhere who's like hey meet me here right. and then you just get dropped off by a lift and you're just literally feeding yourself to predators it because was, you don't know who that person is it was many years ago but i worked a case out in the san Fernando valley where there was a gang and part of their initiation was they had to draw some a draw a female a young female underage female to a point were and then they were gang raped and that was part of this gang's initiation and they were using nothing but social media you know when you think about you know old days versus new days in the old days if i'm a sexual predator i gotta go out yeah. uh, i gotta go to parks i gotta you know i gotta go to clubs like i gotta you know be visible and creepy sometimes i gotta be out and interactive to find victims now i can sit in my my home and you know through social media and the computer i can find and stalk victims with never leaving my house so it makes it a lot harder to detect you know and again it's all about you know what we're doing ahead of time to protect ourselves mm -hmm. you know using common sense and what we're saying what we're doing what we're posting um what situation we're walking into and not walking into, you know, if you, you know, like those dates, you know, you always, have, I would always, you know, somebody at least has to know who you're going to be with and when, where you're going to be and what time you're going to be there. Yeah. Um, I have my, my, I have five people that always have my location. Right. Like, it's just like, I, I have this shared location always. And then whenever I go anywhere, it's like, I, people know my schedule yeah. where I'm like, Hey, if, if you look at like, you know, here and I'm not home by this time, like this is, this is dangerous. That's like good, I'm in a dangerous situation. That's a good practice. Yeah. And again, it's just thinking ahead of, of you know, <clears throat> realizing that there is a potential to be a victim and making it up in your mind that I'm not this I'm is good. a jungle. Yeah. We live in a jungle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think people forget that. I think that yeah. since we have the more sterile environments and we're living in the houses, that we they forget the more animalistic nature of right. everything, you know, where it's like you have to really protect yourself. Um, that's it's interesting that you brought up the, the date rape, not the date rape, the gang rape, because I don't know if you remember when I was my freshman year of college to when um the gang initiation in LA area was to rape a woman in Cal State Long Beach. And you, I don't remember if I went to your house or you came to me, but you were like, listen, this is what's going on and this is what you need to do. And it was just like, never, like, I remember always do the keys, like always make sure you get your keys before you're going somewhere. Never look lost, never be looking for, like never be in your purse or what you had talked about earlier. They think it's a cell phone, you know, yeah. especially today's site. Like, yeah. You've got a face in their cell phone. Yeah. Not paying attention. Not paying attention. And you were like, don't ever text and walk or like, like it's like, make sure that you're in a social setting when you're like on your phone, like always know exactly where you're going. So like, if you're going from A to B, know you're going from A to B and never go anywhere alone at night. Right. And so all of those different steps, I I still do all of all of those steps. I still do them all. I'm glad to hear that, yeah. um, do you have any other steps that you'll leave everyone with besides the ones that you gave me? Like, what was it like 15 years ago? Yeah. Um, 
No, I, I just, I, but I can't stress that enough. It's if you're paying attention, you'll see things. If you're not paying attention, you're not going mm -hmm. to. And we all have pretty good instincts. If you yeah. see a situation that you're not comfortable with, there's probably a reason. Don't just do it. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Yeah. Um, and don't be afraid to go out of your way to avoid situations. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, you know, if I'm not comfortable going to that ATM, yeah, it's going to take me 15 minutes to find another ATM or go to an ATM inside the market or something like that. But at least I, I know that I, you know. Like don't push it basically. Yeah, don't push it. Yeah. Listen to your intuition. Or if there's, don't push you know, it. I'm going to my house and there's somebody in a car sitting outside my house or I see somebody standing out there and I don't feel comfortable, I'm not going to just go ahead. Just because I'm home, I'm not going to park and walk into the house anyways. I'm going to take some other steps. I'm going to either, you know, call the police to come check the guy out, or I'm going to call a neighbor. Hey, you know, there's a guy out here. Can you come out and walk me into the house or whatever it is, you know, you know, take some steps to protect yourself and always be thinking about that. And then what would be the earliest age that you would advise your parents to get their children um, self-defense tools like the the spray or the key? Well, most of like some of the, the sprays like that, it's going to be required that you're 18. But mm -hmm. um, 18th birthday present. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's ever too early. I mean, kids can start learning self-defense stuff. At a, at at a young age. Age. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, I personally am a firm believer in martial arts and stuff like that. Um, but it doesn't have to be anything that extensive. Mm -hmm. You know, you could take uh, a one, you know, a couple hour class. You could take a, a two or three day class. Most martial arts studios will offer some introductory thing or some rape safe or, you know, you know, a, a, a short self-defense class. You know, I used to go around to like churches and stuff like that, give like a, you know, as a two or three hours of a seminar of, you know, some of the things we talked about tonight, but also, hey, when you're going to hit somebody, this is how you do it without hurting yourself. And mm -hmm. this is some of the techniques to, you know, it doesn't have to be anything real extensive, but just, you know, again, everything to make yourself more aware, you know, obviously if you go through a martial arts class and get a black belt, that's better, but yeah, you know, but in your free time, <laughs> not, yeah, not, not all people yeah, you know, have that desire to do that or the commitment, but you know, every, I'm, everybody could, you know, commit a couple hours to a seminar or even if it's not a seminar, watch a YouTube video. Um, there's lots of stuff out there. There's tons of resources. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your expertise. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you. All right.